And so listening is number one because we all have our own experiences in life. You know, not all black people have the same experiences. I experienced the same as y'all too. What you talking about? Don't jump on that, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I want this experience sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, fam. This is Courtney Russell Jr., and I'm here with my co-host, Emily Brocker. Welcome to Humanize. We are two Americans with totally different backgrounds and life experiences. We're coming together on this podcast to dive right at the heart of the three things that shut down tough conversations about race, culture, power, and ego. The stories you are about to hear are meant to humanize those deeply involved in social justice. Welcome to the work, y'all. Let's get it. The following program is supported by High Country Bank, which has been serving Colorado since 1886. While High Country Bank remains a true community bank, they offer many of the same services as the big banks. They specialize in mortgage, construction, and business lending, and strive to provide an exceptional customer experience with every interaction. To learn more, please visit highcountrybank.net. The following program is supported by The Times Collaborative, a co-working office and event space located in the historic heart of downtown Longmont. Whether you need a change of scenery for the day, a return to a routine office, or looking to host an event, The Times Collaborative can support you. Stop in and receive your first day free. To learn more, please visit www.thetimesco.com. What's going on, family? This is Humanize again. We're here with two past legendary guests that we had on the Humanize podcast, and we've been blessed again for the experts to come back and kind of educate us on how do we get into these hard conversations over the holidays. So, um, Emily, just set the stage and let's get to work. Yes. So, our first podcast with four people at the table, legitimately at the table, we have Shakita Yarborough here, who was our guest this past this season. Um, when Shikita joined us last time, she was the first Black person to run for city council in Longmont, and now she's the first Black person to serve on city council hey. in Longmont. So, yay! Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> she's still continuing to um, be the director of community engagement equity at the YWCA Boulder, and she's done a whole lot, just so much incredible work in the community, um, including creating Families of Color Colorado, where she met Pedro Silvas, our guest, who was second guest in our in season two. So welcome back, Pedro. Thanks for being letting me uh, come back and join you. Yeah. <laughs> Excited to have Pedro here. Pedro is a minister with the First Congregational Church in Boulder. He's a blogger, an amazing poet, and has so many beautiful things up um, that he has written. And he's also a volunteer with the Living Room Conversations. Um, and their organization, which is focused on fostering community and the principles of um, equity. So, and he's a rapper. Yeah, and, and he's that. a rapper. <laughs> you shared some amazing music the last time you were on the the yeah. podcast. So, yeah, thanks. Yes, thank you for pointing that out. So, welcome, thank you, you both. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So, you all came to mind um, when Courtney and I were like, you know, how do we? Let's pretend we have a bunch of listeners that have been, you know, listening to our podcast and are headed into holiday season after, you know, 2021 was quite a year. A lot of different events, you know, starting in January 6th and going onwards, a lot of different events that um, are pretty divisive and and fiery right now. And honestly, a lot of events that link into racism and the racist roots of this country. And so we're kind of exploring this question, you know, how do you how do you speak up about racism with your family? So <laughs> over this holiday season, you know, like as you gather with your family, how do you speak up in the moments? How do you choose the right moments to speak up, first of all? And then how do you speak up without it becoming so divisive and, you know, this country is so divisive right now. How do we talk about these tough issues in ways that create more understanding and connection and also not avoid the really important issues? Those are my working questions for today. Yeah. I mean, I'll say real quick that 
trying to avoid the tough part is probably going to make it more awkward. You got to just like, from my perspective, if you're going to step in, you're just going to have to step in and not uh, try to control like how the person's going to respond. You know, this is me speaking, like my personal integrity, for lack of a better word, generally speaking, compels me to say something to someone. Um, I try to say it in the most compassionate way possible because I'm not trying to harm the person. I'm trying to invite them into a deeper way of relating to other people that can serve them in a lot of different areas of their lives. So I feel like I'm giving them a gift by saying something to them. They don't have to accept the gift, but I, I know that that's what I'm doing is giving them a gift. So if I come from that place now, they might say, who I didn't ask for that. You know, but that's like true for any gift you give somebody. Some people say, ooh, thank you, and they get excited. And some people say, hey, uh, you know, why'd you give me this? You know, yeah. I didn't want it. Yeah. But, but you got to know what your intent is when you give the thing. Right. You know, the, even if it's uh, giving a critique. Mm-hmm. That's my perspective. I think that intent piece is really important because I, I see a lot of like— uh, what I would call like the woke mob running around now. It's mm-hmm. like my intent is to call someone out so that I can feel aligned with the this movement. Mm-hmm. What do you what do you feel like is the a a good in, intent going into the conversation that can be productive? Because in that example, like this woke mob thing, like I, I feel like that's more like I want to be right. I want to be I want to get this right. I want to be right, which doesn't necessarily always lead to the most productive conversations. I'm going to pass the ball to Shakita on that one. Well, I don't know. when you, It's so funny because when you say the the woke mob, it, it makes me think of walking zombies. <laughs> you know, um, yes, they look awake and they look like they're alert and they're moving, they're mobile, but are they receiving what you're telling them? The intent sometimes, I, you know, I, I guess I kind of have a little different perspective mm-hmm. I do believe that complicity can cause more danger than being beneficial. So if it's something that's the intent of being truthful and honest, sometimes they someone may need to hear that message with the punch. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying physical punch, mm-hmm. but like, ooh, damn, that was, whoa, how dare you? But then they go back. It was such... A punch that made them their, you know, almost like a little concussion and they made their brain move a little bit and they had to go home and really sit down and evaluate that, mm-hmm. that message, mm-hmm. right? I do think it's important to engage in conversations and be honest with it. And then also think about your self-care because if it gets to the point to where it becomes irate or it becomes, you know, your eyes start twitching. Mm-hmm. and all of that, then you need to calm down and see if this is beneficial. Because if it's not beneficial, then that intent is out the door. So um, just be mindful, like, you know, Pedro said, to make sure that how are you coming with them? How are you bringing it to them? Mm-hmm. And with compassion or with love or with a punch, mm-hmm. because I want to make sure you hear what I'm saying, mm-hmm. Right. And sometimes I do think that there are times where you need to sit back and observe. Mm-hmm. And because sometimes now may not be the time, you know, now may not be the time. But it does depend on the scenario, who's involved, if kids are around. And um, and sometimes you got to look at after 2020, tomorrow isn't promised. I'm, I'm going to tell you what I need to say. Mm-hmm. Right. And so... Um, It's a lot to factor in when you're making that impulsive decision sometimes, you know. Something that just came to my mind, too, is you said uh, um, when you're making that impulsive decision. So um, one of the things about the living room conversations, the reason why I volunteer with them is because I like what they do. And I like that they have these guides to help you walk through the conversations. So sometimes you might want to say, like, hey— person, family, whatever, there's something on my mind, something on my heart. I want to be intentional about setting up a conversation instead of like just letting it be where, oh, we might step in it. Like if you know you're going to go see your family and you know that your family like says things that are divisive or harmful to other people, maybe there's a way of saying like, look, I love you all. And I really want to come. And I know that this comes on. Sometimes these things come up for us. Mm -hmm. What do y'all think about getting together and 
you know, I'm not trying to put you in a tough position. I just want to grow with you. I just want to share with you, you know, just like anything else that's of value in one's life. Mm-hmm. If you want to share that, be vulnerable enough to say, like, look, let's sit down and talk about this. And it's the LRC's thing is kind of like structure. So you can, they have the questions are structured and all what those things. What are they like? What are the Basically, like? they have these conversation guides and they have these these agreements and you say, okay, I'm going to be courteous. I'm going to try to listen and understand. I'm going to, you know, take responsibility for my role in the conversation, Mm -hmm. those sorts of things. And then the people agree to do that. Generally speaking, you have two people who might be on the opposite ends of the spectrum on a specific subject and they have more than like a hundred and something uh, conversation guys. Mm -hmm. And then you, that you invite two people and that person invites two people. And then you sit together and you talk about whatever the issue is. Mm -hmm. And then you just kind of discuss. And you're not trying to change a person's mind. It's not a debate. You're not trying to, you're just saying, this is how I would answer this question, Mm -hmm. you know? And then it's timed and everything like that. So then when it's over, it's over. But you can like actually be more intentional about it because I think what ends up happening that makes people trip in conversations is that there's this preconceived notion that we should, just because we know how to use words, that we think we're supposed to all know how to use them effectively. Mm-hmm. And we don't. Mm-hmm. You know, we think that when we what ends up happening is you get in this conversation you're not prepared for, and then you're like, oh, I don't really know what I think, or I only know sound bites that I picked up off of this, that, and the other thing. Or I'm like in my mind trying to go off a checklist and we're just not equipped. And then when we realize that we're not, we get frustrated. Mm-hmm. Like, why am I not better than this? I should be able to do this. But I think that most people aren't equipped. And so it's like you got to like study and practice and like not assume that you should know how to talk about something or that you even know what you think. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people think they know what they think and they really don't. Because I met a dude one time, he straight up told me, came in my face, I hate N-words like a white dude. And then I just like, oh, I was in a situation where I was the only black person with other white people. And the guy said that to me and I was like, hmm, I'm about to get my butt kicked. And then I just said to the guy, like, do you mean black people? And then he was like, yeah. And I was like, how many do you know? And then he was like, uh, uh. I said, you don't know any? And then he was like, no. And I said, so you hate people you never met? And he said, well, on TV, everything you know is on television? Then he's like, I mean, y'all do this. I said, do you think I'm about to do the things that you said that black people do? I mean, well, no. Uh, and I was like, okay, so. Maybe you really don't know what you think. Maybe you don't know what you're talking about. Well, my dad said, oh, your dad said it. Oh, you got it from your dad. Well, does your dad know? Not well. <laughs> like all this different stuff. I just asked him a bunch of questions. Then he was like, hey, man, want a beer? Let's hang out. Let's be friends, man. You're cool. Because he didn't know what he thought. He said stuff. But then when he was asked questions, he was like, uh, I'm powerless. And I think what happens is most of the time we run into our own sense of powerlessness and then we just get all crazy. Well, see, that's what I love. What you came back to is the asking the questions, because like in my racial equity retreats, that's what we do. So the night before we leave, we have these, we sit down and have these conversations called, I call them cookie conversations. So I put some cookies in the oven so you can smell the sweetness in the cookie, cooking of the cookies. And then we all sit around and we pass the plate of cookies while we having these difficult conversations. And first thing when I teach people two days prior to the cookie conversations is number one, best form of communication is listening. No one can argue with you about your own experiences. And so when someone says something that's inappropriate, ask the questions. Ask them, why do you think that? Why do you feel that way? Did anything happen? Did they do something to you? Oh, okay. And why do you feel this way again? Mm -hmm. Because your great-grandpa told your, your grandpa? And your dad and now you, right? So, and then as they are answering those questions, like the guy, the gentleman he was talking about, they start listening to themselves and like, I I don't sound educated at all. You know, I really don't know what I'm talking about. And so listening is number one, because we all have our own experiences in life. You know, not all black people have the same experiences. I experienced the same as y'all too. What you talking about? (laughs) Don't jump on that, bro. (laughs) I want this experience sometimes. (laughs) So it's important that we understand that we all have different experiences, and so we should listen and then ask those questions why they feel and think the way they do. Mm -hmm. 
And that's how we can learn from one another. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, now I know why she she doesn't like black people because she was robbed by a black guy when she was 12 years old and he knocked her mom down or blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, I got it now, mm-hmm. right? So it's important that we listen to one another instead of assuming and judging, right? Mm-hmm. And those conversations can be definitely difficult during holiday time because you hate to bring up something because everybody's want to have a good time, eat some good food and play some games and kids, you know, play around and all of that. But until somebody had too much to drink, <laughs> uncle and them, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the alternative name of the podcast. How to not say sounds about racism at the holidays when you're drunk is <laughs> like another, it's another one. <laughs> Yeah. It's always an uncle, too. Everybody's always, it's always the uncle. uncle. It's always the uncle. <laughs> it's always the uncle. Because he's the drunk, and he's already been divorced probably three times. Yeah, that guy. Because of inappropriately saying things because he was drunk. Yeah. Right? And he don't want to let the alcohol go because of all those childhood <laughs> with psychological. Come on, Miss Psychiatrist. You know? <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> but I do think that, like, my son, my oldest son, his wife is is white. And I mean, the things that he had to endure to be in that relationship with her is admirable to me. I'm so grateful and thankful God knew what he was doing that I was not with him in any of those encounters mm-hmm. during the holidays. <laughs> because that drunk uncle while my son in a house full of white people by himself, the only person of color, mm-hmm. And no one would stand up for him when a drunk uncle would say all those derogatory black, you know, words and things towards him. And then when my son get ready to to leave and walk out, you know, he sit there. And I was just like, but, I mean, he's the only one. Mm-hmm. He should have called me. I would have flew. <laughs> I would have yeah. went up in there. Yeah. You know, and but to to think about, you know, where was he at mentally to have to stand there and put that shield up and listen to it because the woman he loved family is there and no one is standing up for him. And while she's like going in the kitchen saying, Dad, tell him to stop, you know, the uncle, but nobody's doing nothing. Yeah, that's the scary thing about families, I feel like. Like, so I was telling Courtney before you all arrived today that my, you know, when I worked through this white supremacy in me workbook a couple of years ago, towards the end, it's like, okay, what situations do you speak up in? Do you speak up to leaderships? Do you speak up to your friends? Do you speak up to family? And when we got, you know, this group got to the family, we're all like, yeah, that's 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 really hard. It's really hard. And yet that's probably where we have the most influence to change people's perspectives and open people's perspectives. I said change. So when I'm listening to you, I'm like, gosh, like, I don't know if I can really listen to someone who is so against teaching critical race theory. You know, like, let's say critical race theory comes up at the dinner table and, you know, everyone has different perspectives. In my mind, I'm like, well, I guess I have some work to do to be able to like be curious enough about someone else's perspective. And then I'm like, do I want to do that work? Like, should, shouldn't I be doing other work? There are other ways, there are other unconscious biases I can uncover in myself in terms of how I relate to people that seems more worthy of my energy. But we're talking about family though. We're talking about family though. Yes. Right. Yes. That's the difference. It's They're with you like forever. forever. Ever. Theoretically, but I mean, with family, there's also like, I don't subscribe to this, but there's this, I guess, familial bias. You know how they say blood is thicker than water and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's true in the grand scheme of things because a lot of people's families, if we buy into that across the board, then how can we ask somebody who comes from like a racist family and they're just like, blood's thicker than water, you know? And then they're subscribing to the same notion that we have about familial bonds. And so they don't they don't want to lose, like when they're a child and they get taught essentially, this is how we do things around here. Everybody's got that, right? And they buy into it, they get stuck into it, then they come out and they're saying stuff. 
And if we also are attached to that, that notion that blood is thicker than water and I got family and blah, 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 that perpetuates a lot of this stuff. You know what I mean? I have like black people in my, I mean, I said black people in my family. That sounds crazy. My black, my family. <laughs> and I remember. <laughs> the podcast about the KC. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. My family. But some, sometimes I would say I want to do something, right? And we come from the South. And there was a lot of fear of white people. And my family would say, oh, white people are not going to let you do that. White people are not going to do that. So if I just said, okay, blood's thicker than water. My family told me white people aren't going to let me do this. So I guess I'm stuck in this spot. I had to be like, I love you guys, but I'm not going to limit myself to how you show up in the world. Like, I know you're speaking out of your experience, but at the same time, I am here I have the right to have some of my own experiences. I'm going to go into these spaces and do what I feel like doing, mm -hmm. you know? And I just tell myself that my aunt, like some people said, like, I am, I think it was a poem. It's like, I'm my ancestor's dream. You know what I mean? So I feel like I have a responsibility to take whatever the ancestors did before me and take a step further. Mm -hmm. And then with my kids, I'm going to hold my kids up a little further, you know? And if I, limit myself to the the where my ancestors were limited, then I'll be stay where they are. And I, that's not good for anybody's liberation. At the same time, that mentality, the way I think, generally speaking, is like, if I subscribe to that, then if a white person tell me they subscribe to the same thing, I have no authority to tell them otherwise. You know what I mean? If I'm just like, oh, well, my family, blah, blah, blah. So I just like kind of, I'm more about like you, uh, Courtney, you speak a lot about like liberation of everybody. And that's kind of how I am too. So I'm speaking from that place. And I want my family to be liberated from that. I don't want them to be like conditioned by, because it's still the same system that's messing up everybody. You know, so it's like I speak into it. And if my family, if them pushing me away leads to their, their freedom a little bit more, then I was going to let them push me away. And some people, I told my, my nieces one time, I said, I know I sound crazy sometimes. I know I sound weird sometimes. But one day you're going to want to do something in your life. And you're going to be like, where's Uncle Pedro? And they'll be like, oh, he left. And he, he went and did something different. Mm -hmm. And then you'll know you can do something different because somebody you know did something different. And so that's the invitation that I invite people into when I say something to them. I mean, if they sit there and put their flag in the thing and say, I ain't, I'm never moving. Don't tread on me. I'm not going to do anything different. I'm just going to walk away. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if they're open to, if I ask them some questions and they're open to it, even if I say the questions in a rough way and they engage, I'll say, hey, man, let's walk, take a couple more steps towards your freedom because you don't want to, you don't want to live like this. This is messing you up too. Mm -hmm. You know, even it doesn't matter if you're black, white, whatever, that same mentality is keeping us all down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> See, I just been shutting up right now. Just listening to y'all brilliant people. And I agree about with a lot of things you guys said. To me, the thing about white supremacy is it kind of redefines what freedom looks like. You know, it, it says, if you with your family, this is what should be said. This is what should not be talked about. If you're at school, this is what you should know. If you're learning this, this is what should be learned because we've given you everything and we can make your life easier, which it would. You know, if everybody just said, you forget it, this is my plot in life, white supremacy should win, life would be easier per se. If you're looking at it through the lens of like subjugation and oppression and I mean, because whether you want to admit it or not, slavery was both oppressive and easy, right? Because you knew how you were eating, you knew how your life was, everything was set up, the script was already made. So when you were born, you were a slave. When you, when you go through your life, you're a slave. When you, when you wake up in the morning, you don't have to go find work. You don't have to go to school. You don't have to do anything. Your life is set out for you. And if for generations that is the plight for you, it's easy. You don't got to think, you know? It takes audacity. Me and Emily always talk about this. It takes audacity to even think about having a conversation with your family. The same people who gave you food, clothing, shelter, and now they're saying some crazy shit at the table. you like... Man, but I do love my father, though. You know what I'm saying? It's my mom, ah, she had me, so I got to You know what I mean? Like, and so now you, 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 and you kind of messed up to think I'm gonna go against them 
because then you also may be ostracized from your family. You know, so it's, 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 it's a lot. And so when I think about the work that we do, I feel like you have to be audacious. You have to be uncomfortable. You have to love. But who defines what love looks like, right? If you, if when you love your husband or wife, like it's sometimes where shit got to get real. Mm-hmm. Like, yo, our life is intertwined right now. You looking crazy. You setting the family up for failure. Mm-hmm. I love you enough to tell you that ain't the way. But white supremacy will tell you, don't worry, don't talk about CRT, don't push that envelope. We already got it. Life will be so much easier if you just adhere to this and go about your business. And if you're a black man, a black woman, a woman of color, a man of color, this is how your life is. White people are here. They are supreme. They know what's going on. Just go by that and I promise you it'll be better. If you're allowed to become successful, appreciate that. Damn. Like, how do you go against that? Hey, like, why would you want to go against that unless you are audacious, unless you are willing to fail, unless you say, you know what, either I go about this liberatory work with the risk of losing it all, including your loved ones, mm-hmm. or I say, you know what, let me just fall back into the seat, shut the hell up, and just appreciate the fact that I can even be, I can have a family, I can have a Thanksgiving, I can have a Christmas, mm-hmm. you know, and so... I, I totally agree with you. I mean, that's that's awesome. It's, it's so crazy. I'm over here smiling because I remember as a teenager saying that I said God knew what he was doing when he created me. I was born when I was born. And I'm grateful I wasn't born during the civil rights movement. Because I would literally be dead. Mm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it it have, <laughs> I mean, you know, it would have been better for me to have been born into slavery mm-hmm. because that was the way of life and that's all I knew. That's it. But to know that Juneteenth happened and I was free and you going to tell me I can't eat at that counter? Mm-hmm. You going to tell me I can't read from those books? Mm. You going to tell me I can't get in on that bus? I can't get an education like Miss Susie over there? <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, no. So God knew what he was doing with Shakita because <laughs> this is the right time for you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because I, and I was just smiling because I remember saying that as a teenager, like, there's no way. I mean, they were audacious people during the civil rights movement. Have to be. Right. Um, it was a matter of life and death. So, and then I also think about what you were also saying about family members, even for myself, I was raised because of family members who had to pick cotton as a kid and how their white overseers of the land of the cotton that they pick treated them. Shakita, you won't ever, you better not ever bring home a white man, Mm. ever. And I said, oh, really? I didn't rebel. Or anything, but I needed that clarification and understanding as to why did you think that you can tell me what I can and can't do? Mm-hmm. And how did your experiences relate to my life? Right? And so once I had more understanding, then I had to break it down and say, love is love for me. And I can't allow you to dictate who I should love and who I cannot love. So if I happen to bring home a white man, I sure hope you will welcome him because he would have to be very brave to come home with me. <laughs> right? And, and that was that conversation never brought up again. Never brought up again. Family members who had their biases and judgments toward the LGBTQ community. Same conversation. These are family members that I love. But I did put in the work because I love my family. I did have those conversations over and over again. I did make them think about who are you? What happens on the most of the, my family are Christian. So what happens on Judgment Day? You think you're going to be judged on how you, you look at someone else and what they should and shouldn't be doing? Or you think you're going to be judged compared to what you should be doing? Ding, 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 ding. Guess what? That conversation ended too. But of course. So it's, it's, you know, it is work. I'm not saying 
that you should sit there and listen to every conversation about CRT or anything else that you feel like that is a waste of time. I could be talking about some more beneficial and, you know, other conversations. But sometimes it's important. I think it's important every time, Mm -hmm. to be honest. Mm -hmm. And um, you never know. For me, how like I do in my trainings, I talk about planting that seed. So when you plant that seed about why CRT is important to you and what does CRT mean to you, and here's the facts right here, right? But I get where you're coming from. I don't agree with you, but I I understand what I I, I understand. Mm -hmm. I understand what you mean. Mm -hmm. I don't agree, but if you need more information or facts, you want to sit down and talk about it, I'm definitely open to it, Mm -hmm. you know? That's important Mm -hmm. because everyone wants to be heard. Yeah. Whether you agree with them or not. Mm-hmm. And that's out of respect. Whether you think they deserve it or not. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the only way we, w- I feel that we can move forward and continue in those conversations. Next time they come over, next time you go over, you know what? I, ha- I-, I had looked that up. And I saw the facts on that. Mm-hmm. But then I saw this black dude saying, all we're doing is, is taking us a hundred years backwards, and then you come back with the next segment. Mm-hmm. So now you water in that seed, yeah, because they come, they are curious about it now. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But there's so many different ways of communication, mm-hmm. so many ways that we can communicate. I do believe in continuing the communication. I believe that allows the door to open up and allows us to come in and give them a little bit more of our own influences as well. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about what you were talking earlier about coming back to like the woke, um, what do you call it, the woke mob? Mm-hmm. <laughs> woke mob. That's not like a cool rap name. Like a, <laughs> oh, oh, here we go. Mob. I'm not going to do anything like that. But, we have time. Go for nah, it. <laughs> but I think like shame and I would say most especially shame is one of the main con- tools of control that's used in our society. In America, so we use shame for everything. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a type of currency, you know. And so, because shame is kind of like a currency in this nation, if you really if you strip shame from our marketing and all of those things like that, we have a completely different society. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because it's like everything they show is like you got to here's a way to be ashamed, and you and everybody's trying to figure out how to decrease that sense of shame. And then when they're trying to make changes, they use that same currency. Like, okay, I'm going to put about 5,000 shame points on you to get you to be a different way, you know, or I'm going to do whatever, you know. And when we get in these conversations, it ends up coming up. Mm. You know, somebody brings something up. It's just like you can have the worst person ever. Like, but if you call them racist, they just can't take it. Like, don't call me that. Because the way they hear it is like, it's like you're saying you're a horrible, they, they might know they're a horrible person. But if you say racist, they're like, no, no, no. I am a bad person. I'm a, I'm a, I'm fundamentally well a bad person. You are just a bad, bad yeah, person. Yeah, yeah. And, they, and so they're so, they're so afraid of navigating that, that flow of shame that they just try to do anything to get out. So I personally, I don't really do shame well. Like, I think sometimes people are like, aren't you ashamed? Ashamed <laughs> of yourself? I'm like, nah, I don't do that. You know? I personally, like, there's, I don't know how much you guys know about shame, but, like, shame basically means, like, I am this bad person. I am wrong. I'm a, my essential reality is a wrong being. And then guilt is, like, I have done something wrong. Mm. So if you're guilty, you can actually say, okay, I did something wrong, but I can actually do something better. And I can and still I can be a good person. Yeah, and I can move into my fundamental essence is still a decent person. I'm just a good person that did a wrong thing. Mm-hmm. But we're dealing in a whole different thing right here. So, like, when I converse with people, I do my best not to bring about shame. You what know? does that look like, not bring about Well, shame. for me, I, uh, I like, will say something like, I know from my experience, if it's a person I had experience with, I know from my experience with you that you're a pretty open-minded person in a lot of different areas. And I'll call up their higher self. I've seen you do this, this, and this. I've seen you do this, that, and that. Now... The thing you just did just there, that's not consistent with the person that I know that you either are or are in the process of becoming. And I want to help you be the person that you intend to be, that I've seen from your past actions, 
So I'm going to help you be the person that you seem to want to be by telling you this. Mm -hmm. And the next time you get in a conversation with somebody else, like somebody else, they had this to say to you. And you probably wouldn't like that. I'm going to help you out. I'm going to give you a little bit of a better way to say that. You know, I'm going to give you a thing. Now, if they say, no, no, I'm really am a piece of garbage, then it's like a whole different conversation. But generally speaking, I know that people want to be seen as good people and they want to be good people. And the main fight is like things are telling them they're not that. You know what I mean? You are a bad person. And it's like, that's the worst thing that they can ever hear. And, you know, we've, I think me and you talked about it, uh, that sometimes when a person does something and you call them out and they go, but I'm a good person. Like, that's the first thing they say, but I'm a good person. So it's like, work with that. And then you're having a totally different conversation. Right, right, like, right. you can't give Dude. feedback if you're talking about someone's essence, right, you know? Right, exactly. Yeah. So it's like, you just work with that. And it's just like, it's like, I'm assuming the best in you. Mm -hmm. And like, from my perspective, I was telling y'all earlier, I mean, bringing in a, my personal faith perspective, is I said I had to believe in God absolutely or not at all. And so from the perspective I'm coming from, everything that is less than the highest is an is an error that we are making, but we have the capacity to do better. And that a person's core essence does have some kind of capacity for good. If they don't have a capacity for good, then the whole enterprise of development is pointless. And so I just assume like it's in there somewhere. Like I'm not going to say that you know how to demonstrate it. I'm not going to say that you're, you're anywhere in the vicinity of expressing it, but it's got to be down there somewhere, you know, and I'm going to give you an invitation. And if you don't take that invitation, then I'm going to say, hey, you know what? Well, some other people might take that invitation. I'm, I'm going to step out, you know, and that's what, that's how I, how I do it. And I had to cultivate that over years. Yeah. You know, I didn't start out that way, you know. I ain't going to lie, Pedro. That seems like a lot of work. For me to to see an injustice done, see a perpetrator, and try to make sure that I make sure they're okay, like it's, it's added work towards on that's put on me. Like I come into a situation assuming that you knew what the hell you were doing, right? But because of your audacity, and your audacity has never been met with audacity, like you can continue to do that. Yeah, and I I hear what you're you saying. See what I'm saying, so I'm I'm saying like, nah, if bro. I have the experience with the yeah. person, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't yeah, have to that's a that. different situation. Yeah. If I had the experience with the person, then I feel like I can say that. If I don't know the person, that's a different story. We're talking about family. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sometimes, and, and if the family got to match energies, though. Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. It's different ways. One, some one time, a friend asked me. They said, um, "I wrote a, I wrote a. This is a little kind of embarrassing, but I wrote a friend <laughs> a letter to a friend, and I was talking about." I just said something about true love, right? Mm -hmm. And I was expressing that love can manifest itself in a lot of different ways in a lot of different circumstances. Yeah. And my ex was like reading my emails. So she, I didn't know she was reading my emails. So she came up to me, she said, Pedro, what do you, you think about true love? And I was just like, well, and I was being myself. So I didn't know she had read my emails. So then I was just like, I mean, true love, man. I said the same thing I said to the person. It manifests itself in a lot of different ways. And she said, well, give me an example. I said, you know, somebody might... Um, I said, okay, like, I love all the brothers in my neighborhood, right? But a lot of them were bullies towards me, bullies towards my brother, but we're cool now. I said, so true love, one time this dude did this to my brother, and out of true love, I walked up behind him, I slammed him, and I told him what's up. And then I picked him up off the ground. And then she was, and then she didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know she was trying to set me up because I wrote the email to a girl. So I, I didn't know she was trying to set me up. So she was like, so, so I mean, she was trying to dig into it. But I was just like, and then she said, like, well, no, give me another example. And I said, well, you know, it can manifest in a lot of ways. You know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I would have failed that like, yeah. like, what? what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, I was like, it manifests, you know what I mean? And then I was like, it could be like this. It could be breaking up with a person, for example. <laughs> you know, the person like, like, and I'm like, I'm like, I would have said right there. Yeah, I'm like, but I was being, I was going straight up like, you know, like if a person, like you're in a relationship with somebody and they're like, they just are a garbage. Reading your emails. Not, great, <laughs> not a great person. You know, right? Then I'm like, then sometimes you're like, I love you so much. Get the hell out of my face. You know what I mean? And that's, that can be if your, if your premise, your ideas that help that person live into the fullest expression of their being, sometimes that means separation. That sometimes means like, get away from me. That sometimes you mean like, I'm going to get away from you. Mm -hmm. And all of that is expressions of love. Now, 
that doesn't, for me, I've been cultivating what I was saying earlier. So it's not as much work in the sense that I'm assuming, I'm going to invite a person into that. Like, hey, I'm assuming if I know you, you there's something about you. I, I'll give you one more example and I'm going to shut up. So I was like, in, I was in the DMV, right? Trying to get my driver's license after I got out of the military. And in the military, as long as you have your military ID, you can have a driver's license from whatever state. So I just drove for like eight years. I had an Arizona driver's license, no matter where I lived. And so I got out and said, okay, I got to get a new driver's license. I was living in Virginia. So it's like, okay, you need a couple forms of ID, bills, whatever. So I went up there, blah, blah, blah. And the lady's like, "Uh, you know, I need another picture ID. I said, well, I got a military ID and I got my, my driver's license from Arizona. And she said, but your military ID expired a few days ago. And I was like, uh, okay. And then I'm like, and then she was like, well, then I can't take it. You just got to get out of line. And I was like, ma'am, do you think I'm not this person on this thing? And then she was like, I mean, yeah, but your idea. I said, so you think that when that expired, I ceased to be that person? This on this this ID? She's like, no. But the rules are rules. This is a black lady. And then I said, well, ma'am, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm going to sit in this chair over here, and I'm just going to stare at you. I'm not leaving, and I'm going to get my driver's license because I was just in the military for a bunch of years. I know you know I'm me, so I'm just going to sit here and stare at you until I get my driver's license. She said, well, I'm going to call your manager. Now, I'm going to call the manager, and we're going to take care of this. I said, okay, that's great. I'm going to stare at your manager because I know inside of you that you don't want to be like this. I was like, but, but you stuck, so I'm going to sit here and stare at you. And then I just sat there and stared at her. Then the manager came up. So what's going on? It's like, this man is being like this. And he's telling me he's going to stare at me until I give him a driver's license. And then the lady was like, look at stuff. It's like, this man served our country. Give him his driver's license. <laughs> like, then I got up, got my driver's license. And I said, oh, it looks like you're going on a crew, going on vacation soon. And we just had a nice conversation until uh, I got my driver's license. But I was like inside of him, no, you don't want to be stuck like this. I, I just can't imagine you want to be this kind of robot. You know, you might want to be, but I'm going to stare at you. And that was love. To me, that was true love. I love that lady. I didn't even know her. Well, you know, that's so true because, I mean, I've had servers before. And my kids, we all go out to eat. And this server was just so rude, so rude. And he just, like, wouldn't look at me when I talked to him when I was ordering and, and you know, and everything like that. And he just, he just wouldn't do it. And so then I said, I stopped. I took a deep breath. And I said, so his name tag, I don't remember his name now. And I said, uh, you're not usually like this. I said, why are you like this today? And he said, is it showing? <laughs> I said, who did Who did what? Do I need to go back in the kitchen and talk to somebody for you? Oh. And he said, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to be this way. I'm just so upset and everything. I said, it's okay. Do I need to go back in the kitchen and talk to someone for you? We all have those days, and I understand today is your day. I said, but I am willing to do that for you. And he said, no. He said, no, it's okay. I'll get through the day. And he said, I am so sorry. Hmm. So sorry. And um, he apologized. And I said, well, I know that you're a good person. I did the whole routine. I didn't even know him, never seen him a day before in my life that day. And I said, I know you're a good person. And I bet you when you come to work, you give 100% and treat all of your customers right. And he said, yes, I do. And I said, I know it. I believe it. I said, so I'm telling you I'm willing to talk to whomever I need to if it will make your day better. And he said, no, you made my day better. Please. We walked out. That was so much free food. <laughs> no, and my kids, But my kids <laughs> couldn't believe it. You know, they were like, man, mom, he just. All of a sudden, just his whole demeanor just changed. Mm-hmm. I said, because I had to change, mm-hmm. right? Do I sit there and accept it? Mm-hmm. No. So sometimes it does require us to move a little bit in our, out of our mold or in our mold and just mm-hmm. reform ourselves a little bit to see the change we desire. I wasn't doing that for free food, but it made him a happier person. He was singing. He was coming. And and uh, is there anything I could do for my favorite table? And the boys was looking at me like, what is really going on? But that was the example they, my kids needed to see. 
Yeah, and there's a way to do it without like shucking and jiving or whatever like that, because that's not my style. Right. But you know, Booker T. Washington, I believe he said like, um, I would never let a person make me stoop so low to hate them. And to me, like love is the, I mean, love's a word, but what I think of when I think of love is the creative force. The, it's the most powerful creative force in the universe. Like there's nothing that doesn't exist because of that. And so if I'm coming from that, if I'm informed by that, then I have the, like in my tradition, it says there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. So if someone's coming at me and their their root is fear, then the love that I come from, which isn't like always like, or whatever like that. Can y'all see that on the podcast? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, um, they can but, imagine it. Yeah, just imagine. <laughs> but um, it's it's that that perfect love. If you come from that place, you're coming from the most powerful place, like ever. True. You know what I mean? True. And so, like, even a person like things crumble because of that. Mm-hmm. Like the shift that MLK was able to make um, in his life is because he stood in that. Yeah. Now it was like. He was the most dangerous man in America, but he was coming by love. So it's like he didn't, love doesn't be like, and he was just signing papers and doing stuff with people and stuff like that. And he was coming from a place that like, I'm not going to let you make me less than what I am. You know, I'm not going to be shamed into it. And I mean, I know he made some mistakes and stuff like that, but in the grand scheme of things, it's like, I'm not going to let somebody destroy my identity, my highest identity by me lowering myself, it's, it's more like, I'm gonna I'm invite you to come up. I'm not coming down there with you. I'm not wrestling with, wrestling with pigs, you get dirty. You know, I'm not doing that. But I will invite you into a higher way. You know what I mean? So that's that's kind of how I, how I come with it. And I've done the other ways first and saw that they didn't work. You know what I mean? It didn't work, it doesn't, it's not sustainable, you know? And so I try to do, I, I'm constantly trying to reframe and figure out the most sustainable model to do anything that I do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because that's the, that's the long term for myself. And you started off, so I want to think about self-care mm-hmm. in the midst of it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm willing to die for stuff, but I'm not going to kill myself for stuff. Right. And that's mm-hmm. a totally different Absolutely. space, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's... Um, what Not even family. Me? Yeah. Oh, no. Nah. See, what comes up for both of y'all, y'all are living representations of possibilities, you know? And you talk about taking the ancestral work to a whole nother level, and you just, <laughs> you become the first black person ever in Longmont to do what you're doing, you know? So just representing that shows possibility for individuals coming behind us and that's what I work to do you know like I feel as though yes I'm a doctor but that's not what I'm most proud of I'm most proud of being representation of what can happen when you say you know what I don't like what I see freedom is what it's supposed to be and this is how we're going to move you know and so when I think me being a doctor is just a vehicle but me being a civil activist is what I, I, I always will lead with because Activism, the word alone is active. It, it, it takes work, you know? And so I just want to be another another iteration of activists that can, that were behind me. I'm just standing on the shoulders of, of an ex, you know, of Gandhi, of, of Martin. You know, like I want to make sure when, when you talk about the work that I did, even if it was a ripple effect, it, it mattered, you know? And so um, just what y'all bringing to the table right now with the representation is giving chills to me because you guys do represent the greatest of love, the greatest of possibilities, the greatest of hope that can happen when you just don't really mind putting yourself out there for a good that you may not ever see. Mm-hmm. You know, like we may not, I may never see true just like appreciation for everyone and love, but if the ripple effect that I hope to give for future generations may happen by just this podcast, you know, you know, because when we talk about white supremacy as a black man, I'm like, oh, I hate white people. But then you look at my podcast and I'm with Emily. Right, Mm. right. You know what I mean? Like, come on. Hold on, Emily's white? (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting out of this podcast. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) I am. (laughs) 
you're a minority today, but. <laughs> That's right. Enjoy. Enjoy. I love it. I love it. <laughs> oh man, we gotta we gotta wrap up here. And I just I'm amazed at where this conversation went. And both of you are such so overflowing with compassion. And it's really just making me check check myself. <laughs> um in here, so here's what you know, here's what I kind of hearing. Courtney, I love that you said like activism is active. It takes work. Mm -hmm. And so we know that staying silent is the easiest mm -hmm. in the short term, but it, it takes work in that moment to speak up and to align. You know, I think there are a lot of people right now who want to align with a, a version of society that's not looking like this. And so it's, it's going to take work. I heard people talking about intent, getting clear on your intent, where you're coming from, and reaffirming connection in that love, in the intent of like loving the other person that you're you're talking to in that moment, and then moving towards understanding through curiosity, through asking questions. And Pedro, you offered the advice to just watch for shame, because it will make things happen in the moment, but it's not necessarily when we're aligning to to create greater connection to to then broaden our understandings of each other and create a society that we would want to live in it's mm -hmm. not really aligning with what we want to get did i miss anything in that that summary that you would add in i'll just add like i don't like doing stuff that doesn't work so if i'm doing something and i find out it doesn't work anymore i'm just not going to keep doing it i'm not going to be like oh well that's what i always did i'm just going to stop doing it and like a lot of things that i've arrived at is because I did stuff that didn't work first. And then I said, Psh, that didn't work, that didn't work, but I'm not gonna keep doing it yeah. just because of that emotional high I get off of being right or something, it's not worth it to me. So I'm just like, yeah, I just like, if it doesn't work, stop, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And a lot of the stuff in our in our society is not working, yeah. but people keep doing it because they're like, well, I don't know what else to do. Just keep doing what was done We've before. Done it. <laughs> Doesn't work, but I'm still do it. It's like what? Why? It was like watching a broken television just because you used to sit in front of it. It's like <laughs> no, get a new one. <laughs> That's funny. That's a great metaphor. Oh, anything else you would add, Shakita? I would just say, whenever you put yourself in those situations to have those conversations, think about the outcome and the purpose of it. You know, what is the purpose of me engaging in this? Yeah. Um, and I think it would keep you grounded. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, no, nah, I said enough. Um, it's all about these two legends right here. And um, <laughs> I grab this thing up. Just go on. <laughs> the story's on. <laughs> we did our thing today. Well, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> yeah, really appreciate us it. Here. Thank you. So great to see both of you again. Yeah, cool. Yes. Thanks. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Humanize. Please remember to like and subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Join us on Instagram or Facebook to continue this conversation at The Humanize Podcast. Let us know if you want to learn more about the professional trainings we offer. And of course, tune in next time as we continue the work. Thank you and much love.